This time for our annual road trip. This is a long-standing tradition at WC. It goes all the way back to 2013. Uh, this is like our 10th or 11th uh, road trip. I don't know, COVID kind of uh, um, confuses me, but uh, we've gone on many road trips throughout the years. Uh, there was the college tour road trip where all of the pastors got in a bus and went to all of the different universities around uh, the state of Texas. You may remember two or three years ago, uh, John and Todd did uh, the uh, trip from Rising Fawn, Georgia. Uh, they took the original path that the settlers who founded this church 150 years ago took, all the way from Georgia to South Lake. Uh, and you may remember there was the best food in Texas trip. Uh, that was actually the first series I ever experienced at White's Chapel. Uh, my very first Sunday after I had gotten hired here, uh, was all about cherry pie. And I knew this was a different kind of church, you know? Um, you may remember last year, we did uh, the Holy Land trip, and we went to Palestine or Palestine, and uh, Hebron or Hebron, and Mount Zion and Antioch, all in Texas. We did this Holy Land tour. Uh, this year, as you saw, the, the big guys went to Nameless, Texas, the town with no name. Uh, and I love that because over the course of this month, we're gonna be talking about four nameless people from the Bible. These are four people that aren't named and yet still their stories, uh, their witness uh, points us to some deep lessons. Lessons about ourselves, lessons about God, things to do, things not to do. Uh, tonight we're starting with someone from Luke's gospel. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out. Uh, let's turn there now and read, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 39 through 43. This is, uh, this is during the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is what happens. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other, the other criminal, rebuked him and said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, this is our nameless person for the day. We refer to the second man that speaks uh, we, he's widely referred to as the thief on the cross. Now, I was thinking about this all week, about the name that we have ascribed to him, the name that, that the church essentially has given him, the thief on the cross. And the more I thought about it, the more it bothered me, the more I found it kind of sad. Like we've, we've named him based on the worst things he ever did. We define him by his crimes, by his mistakes, by the, by the thing that got him up on that cross in the first place. And I was thinking about that this week, and the more I thought about it, the more that I realized that we do this with so many people. We, so often we only remember people for the worst thing they, they've ever done. We define them by their failures. We see our neighbor or our coworker or the guy who did that thing, and we whisper. Sometimes we see a thief on a cross and nothing more. 
we human beings, we have a tendency to minimize someone to their worst moment. Uh, I used to have a podcast called Former Days. Uh, I've talked about it in here before. It's still available, uh, uh, but it's been a while since I've been able to make a new one because I have a baby, so uh, don't spend a lot of time researching historical figures anymore. Uh, but on that podcast, I would cover the life of someone significant from history. And so we covered Rosa Parks and Joan of Arc and John Newton, who authored uh, Amazing Grace and St. Augustine and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and St. Francis and all of these wonderful people. And my goal was to talk about someone interesting and to look at the entirety of their lives, including their spiritual lives. Uh, well, I did a, a series of episodes on Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, my wife, Hannah, was, was my guest, uh, and it actually ended up being the most popular series, uh, set of episodes we ever put out. Um, but when you think of Vincent Van Gogh, what do you think about? Y'all well, know where I'm going already. That worked out well for me. You may think about, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe you're a little more gracious. Maybe you think about his wonderful art and his contribution to Impressionism. But let's be honest, we think about the ear. Right? We think, uh, uh, we remember Van Gogh's life outside of his art for the fact that he cut off his ear. It's kind of become a, a defining thing about the man. And his life is, is really interesting. He actually, he would eat toxic turpentine paint, which I don't recommend. Uh, he would drink absinthe constantly all day, every day. He didn't take care of himself. And, and that led him to psychologically degrade over time. And that led to the ear. But that's what we remember Van Gogh for. I mean, frankly, when I first decided to, to cover him, that's pretty much all I knew. That's how I thought of him. He was the crazy painter guy, the ear guy. But as I dove into his life, I learned more. Like, did you know that Van Gogh was a pastor early in his life? Did you know that he served a, a extremely poor rural community, a, a coal mining village? And did you know he was really good at it? He was beloved by all of the people there. They referred to him as the Christ of the coal mine. He was extraordinarily generous with the people. In fact, what got him in, in trouble and got him kicked out of the ministry was the fact that he gave away the church house, the parsonage, to a group of poor widows. And the higher-ups in his denomination didn't love that. But he served the people. He was a great pastor. But nobody remembers that about him. Instead, we remember his greatest mistake. We remember the juiciest bit of gossip about him. And my point is that we don't just do this with historical figures like Van Gogh. We do this with a lot of people. This is a not-so-nice part of our human nature. I mean, that's what the, the crowd had done with these criminals on the cross. That's what they had done with Jesus himself. They viewed them only in light of the mistakes that they had made, or in Jesus' case, the mistakes that they claimed he had made that he hadn't, the crimes they were falsely accusing him of. But in that moment, as those men hung there, they were viewed only for the things that they were being charged with. They were just criminals on crosses, broken men paying for their sins. The crowd jeered at them and mocked them. 
the people, the crowd surrounding them, they failed to take a deeper look at, at the men that were right in front of them. And they only saw the ugly parts. They failed to see them for more, for who they really were. It's kind of like the blobfish. Okay, if you've ever seen a picture of a blobfish, uh, you may know that for years it's been widely considered to be like the ugliest animal on the planet. This is a blobfish. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, yeah, you can understand, <laughs> you know, you can understand why it might have garnered that reputation. But, but for years, people showed basically this photo. It's a pretty newly discovered animal. And people showed this, this photo of the blobfish, and they talked about how grotesque they look, how ugly they were, how nasty they were. Um, they kind of look like chewed up bubble gum, I feel like. Uh, but here's the thing about the blobfish. It was several years before uh, scientists re realized that that's not actually what they look like at all. This is what a blobfish actually looks like. They're, they're not all that different from any other fish. So why do they look so crazy in the first photograph? Well, blobfish uh, are super deep sea creatures. Their habitat is almost 10,000 feet below the surface. It's a zone that is, has incredible pressure. And because of that, these animals have physical adaptations that help them deal with that harsh condition. And so blobfish bones are extremely soft. Their whole bodies are extremely soft. And so they can handle the pressure. And that evolutionary workaround is great. If, uh, it's a great way to stay alive when your home is always trying to crush you. Uh, but when you get brought up to the surface, to the land where you don't belong, you kind of turn to mush. Okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. For years, people saw the blobfish as this hideous, ugly thing. They named it the blobfish. Um, but they aren't actually that way at all. The only reason people thought this was because they failed to look deeper. They failed to really assess what this fish was truly like. And again, that's what we see the crowd do with Jesus on the cross. Obviously, we know that they misjudged him. They chanted king of the Jews ironically, but he really was king of the Jews. He was king of all kings. And they cried out and they demanded that he die, not realizing that in his death, death was defeated. They misjudged. They failed to look deeper, to really see the human being right in front of them. God right in front of them. And coming back to the thief on the cross, I, I think it would have been easy for Jesus to do the same thing with him, with this nameless man beside him. It would have been pretty easy for Jesus to write him off, to only see the ugly, to see him as a blobfish, but that's not what Jesus did. See, to Jesus, he wasn't just a thief hanging on a cross. He wasn't just a bandit. He wasn't just a robber. He wasn't just a broken man paying for his crimes. He was a child of God. That's what Jesus saw. Jesus didn't just see some thief on a cross. Jesus saw a man who the Father cared for deeply. 
He saw a child in need of saving, a beloved creation of God. And I guess what I'm getting at is that I just wish I had more of that heart sometimes. I wish I had the gracious, merciful heart of Jesus. A heart that really assesses the full reality of a person. A heart that doesn't label people or define them or remember them for the worst thing they've ever done, but a heart that is drawn toward redemptive love always. Because that's what Jesus did. That's, that's how Jesus lived. That's what he models for us so beautifully in this scripture. I mean, keep in mind, in our text, he's hanging on a cross. He's been beaten and mocked, and, and one of the thieves beside him is chastising him, saying, okay, if you really are who you say you are, get us down. But then there's this other man, this nameless man, this thief on the other side who says, you know what, I know you are exactly who you say you are. And I'm guilty. I did it. But Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, Jesus sees his heart. He sees a repentant man who wants to follow him. And what does he say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. This man receives salvation. This broken man, this, this sinner, this robber, this thief on a cross is saved. Because Jesus had a heart that saw the best in people. Jesus didn't say, hey, nice try, dude, but no. You're too broken. You're too far gone. You've made too many mistakes. I know what you've done. And this last ditch effort, no. It's too little too late. No. Why? Because Jesus always saw through the lens of grace. He saw the good in every person. He saw the God in every person. He viewed and he, and he treated everyone with sacred worth. He treated them as, as beloved. And we should too. There's a video uh, where, uh, where I think we get a glimpse uh, of this in action. I think it illustrates this really well for us. You may have seen this before, so if you have, forgive me. Uh, but uh, it all started with a couple of high school kids on a basketball team in Waco, Texas. They felt convicted to have the kind of heart that Jesus has. And it, it made quite a difference. So uh, let's, let's pull this video up and let's watch. Something amazing happened the other day at a basketball game, but if you keep your eye on the ball, you're going to miss it because it didn't happen on the court, it happened in the stands. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. Teamwork on three, one, two, three. Teamwork. If you're a fan of high school basketball, you're not alone. Good boy! But if you're a fan of the Gainesville Tornadoes in Gainesville, Texas, then you are alone. Usually our fan base was close to zero. My parents came uh, one game, but they didn't come to the other ones because they didn't have time. The other students at Gainesville don't come to the games either, mostly because they can't get out. This is a juvenile correction facility for felony offenders. And one of the few perks here for very good behavior is a chance to leave the prison a few times a year to play basketball. They play against private schools like Vanguard College Prep in Waco. And it was before that recent matchup. 
that two Vanguard players announced they weren't going to play against a team with no fans. No one likes playing in an empty gym. But isn't that supposed to be a good thing for you? You don't have the other fans cheering against you? I guess, but it just seems weird, you know? It just didn't seem right. So, before their home game against Gainesville, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson asked some of the Vanguard fans for a favor. To cheer for Gainesville instead. The Gainesville players had no idea what was happening. They walked onto the court to find their own signs of support, their own cheerleaders, even their own fan section. Half the crowd was assigned to cheer for Gainesville. But then as it went on, everybody just kind of got so into it. Nobody was cheering everyone, for you. <laughs> everyone was cheering for them. I mean, every time they scored, the gym was just lit up with cheering and clapping, and everyone was on their feet. This is not what I've ever seen sports be. I think in a way, this is kind of how sports should be. It, it just kind of showed me the real impact that encouragement and support for anybody can make. Hudson says we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. It's something I won't forget. When I'm old man, I'm just going to think about this. I remember this for the rest of my life. And finally, as for who won the game, well, obviously they didn't care. So why should we? Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Waco, Texas. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. For all of us at CBS News all around the world, I'm Scott Pelley, and I'll see you Sunday on 60 Minutes. I, I love that video. Those two young men from Waco didn't look at the other team and see juvenile delinquents. They didn't see thieves on a cross. They saw human beings just like them, kids, who needed someone to root for them. And so they made it happen. And this, this little uh, Steve Hartman clip ended up starting kind of a movement. Uh, so many people saw this story on the news and they wanted to do the same and so for years, uh, there were schools that did this, organizations that would do this, church groups that would do this. Uh, the Gainesville Tornado basketball team would regularly pack out gyms in Texas. Uh, in fact, in, in 2015, uh, dozens of people from White's Chapel went down to a game at Fort Worth Christian Academy and they rooted for the Tornadoes. And they made uh, Tornado t-shirts and signs and they went crazy for those kids. But I love that so much because that's the heart of Jesus in our scripture. Jesus saw more than a nameless man. He saw more than a thief. He saw a repentant man who was reaching out to him. And because of that, this man was saved. Because of that, he entered into paradise with our savior. How amazing is that? Look, if, if you're here tonight and you feel nameless, if you feel like a thief on a cross or an artist with one ear or a blobfish or a Gainesville tornado basketball player, if you feel like you have no one in the stands cheering for you and you feel weighed down and defined by the worst things you've done or the way that the world views you, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't see you that way. He doesn't see you or define you by your failures 
or your mistakes or, or for the way that others perceive you. He sees you for exactly what you are, exactly who you are. A precious, beloved child of God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're struggling with, that will never change. There's nothing you can do about it. Jesus will always see you that way. And my prayer for us tonight is that we would learn to do the same. That we would learn to to view our neighbors with grace. That when we see a person who's different from us, someone we don't understand or, 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 or someone who's made some bad choices or whatever, I pray that we will have the mind of Christ on the cross. That we will view the world with love and mercy and grace first. Because you know what? We're all the thief on the cross. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes, and yet Jesus still died for us. He still went to the cross. He still defeats death. He makes a way to to, to paradise for us too. And all we have to do is recognize him and reach out. All we have to do is let him love us. So church, let's receive that grace. And let's learn to offer that grace. And maybe, maybe let's try and find another name for the thief on the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we are a a room full of people in need of grace and in need of of mercy and love. And Lord, sometimes we we are the main thing standing in the way. We don't feel like we deserve it. We feel like we've, we've made too many mistakes. We've fallen short one too many times, but Jesus, remind us tonight that that's, that's not your heart. Lord, when you look at us, you see your children who you love. You don't see thieves on crosses, you see repentant people who want to follow you. And so God, tonight as as we prepare to receive the sacrament, help us to remember what this represents. It's your body, it's your blood poured out for us, for us thieves on crosses, for us your children who love you and want to know you more. We pray all of this in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.